Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Priest Forever, the uh, podcast for the Vocations Office for the Diocese of Bridgeport. I'm Father Chris Ford, the Vocations Director for the Diocese of Bridgeport, and we are very pleased to have with us uh, today a very special guest, um, uh, Juan Colon. Um, and you will notice, even though the, the title of the podcast is A Priest Forever, uh, that I did not say Father Juan Colon, and that is because he is not Father Juan Colon yet. Yet, though we are certainly, certainly very hopeful. This is a special episode. Um, this is the very first of what will hopefully be several uh, seminarian specials, right? It's it's definitely always good to talk to our priests, uh, to hear from them. But also there are, we have really wonderful, you know, really high quality men in formation for the priesthood now. And so it's really important, I think, to hear some of their experiences and their perspectives on what it's like to be formed for the priesthood, what it's like to discern God's will, what it's like to have deepen your relationship with him in such a way that that potentially leads you to the altar uh, to serve as his priest and all of the things. And, and, and I think that's one of the experiences that many people don't really get. They, most people have never been to seminary. Most people never visit seminaries. So this is a really wonderful opportunity. So we welcome today Juan Colon. Welcome, Juan. Happy to have you. Thank you, Father Ford. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to do this. Great, great. So Juan, you are in first theology, right? Your first year of theology at St. Charles Borromeo in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. Uh, how's that going for you so far? It's going great. Life is good. Uh, great seminary, great place. Um, very joyful place. And so I think that's the most important thing. So I'm sure. nothing but good things to say. Excellent. Good. That's that's what we like to hear, um, especially in public. Uh, no. And <laughs> And Juan and Juan and I have, have have been friends for a while. In fact, we spent some time. We overlapped a little bit in seminary ourselves. Uh, and and I can I can assure you, he feels the same way, even when he's not talking to his vocations director on a public podcast. So, Juan, so again, so grateful to have you. Thanks for taking time out of your day, especially as we we head towards the end of the semester, where uh, I'm sure papers and exams and all of those things are, are definitely on your mind. But let's let's get away from that. Let's let's free your mind. Let's free your heart a little bit uh, from the the funness that is seminary formation. And let's start with your origin story. Where are you from? Where are where were you born? Where did you grow up? All those things. Who is Juan Cologne? Yeah. So Juan Cologne currently today is 28 years old. So I was born uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut, and uh, great city, great town. And um, let's see. So my parents are are Puerto Rican. Um, my dad was born in Brooklyn, uh, raised in Norwalk. So we go back two generations in Norwalk. My mom moved to Norwalk uh, during her teenage years. Um, so Puerto Rican culture and heritage very strong in my family. Um, I grew up at. St. Joseph's Parish in South Norwalk, um, and then for schooling, yeah, I attended public school. Um, my mom's a elementary school teacher. Uh, my dad worked corporate security, um, among other things, and um, he also served in the Marine Corps um, before I was born. So I got that type of upbringing as well. So yeah, so that's pretty much my, my backstory and. That's who Juan Colon is, and also uh, Juan Colon Jr. So, uh, Dad's Juan Colon as well. So he he wants to make sure I he always makes sure I put put to, I put in that uh, Junior. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Now, when you were growing up, so with your your family, uh, obviously having deep connections in Puerto Rico, was going back and forth to Puerto Rico something that your family did pretty often? We did. We did. Uh, most summers we would go back. Um, so I spent a lot of time there and a lot of I have a lot of family there still. Um, a lot of aunts and uncles, cousins, uh, grandparents were there. So, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time there in, in Puerto Rico. So it's in many ways. It's the second home for me. Yeah. Yeah. Where And where in Puerto Rico is your family from? Yeah. So we're from a town called San Lorenzo. Um, mm-hmm. So on both sides, mom and dad's side are, are both from that town. So that was where I spent the bulk of my time. I have some family on the west coast of the island in Aguadilla. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would spend some time there, but most of my time definitely in San Lorenzo. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's that like? What's what's your, your family's hometown in Puerto Rico like? Yeah. So it's, um, it's very mountainous, uh, very rural. Um, it's a big town, but not very populated. So it's a lot of land. Um, and yeah, just my, my family's in, in the mountains. So to get up there, you got to drive up a lot of, a lot of hills, a lot of mountains, a lot of curves, a lot of narrow roads. So it's, a, it's much different than mm-hmm. life uh, in Connecticut where I was growing up. So it was a huge contrast and, um, mm-hmm. just much more laid back lifestyle, um, much more in tune with nature, um, mm-hmm. because they, they, Although they didn't live off the land, they liked to live off the land. So there was a lot of agriculture. Um, sure. So it was a lot of eating the fruits from the trees and the different vegetables. Um, and even being able to have like fresh eggs and stuff like that from from our own chickens. Um, so that was, yeah, big contrast, but ultimately yeah. very, very good. That's great. What were some of the things now? So you're spending your summers in, in Puerto Rico. You're, you're growing up, going to school uh, here in Norwalk. What were some of the things, what was life like for you uh, in Norwalk growing up? You say it was a nice contrast. So what's that, that nice living off the land, that nice relaxed, you know, uh, you know, kind of lifestyle down in, in Puerto Rico. What's the opposite of that in Norwalk? <laughs> The the first and most obvious one that comes to mind is is just proximity. Um, mm-hmm. So Norwalk, everything was close by, right? Go to the supermarket, you'd be there five ten minutes. Um, Puerto Rico, just to get down from the mountains to the center of the town was a twenty minute drive, and not all the supermarkets and stuff were there. So then if you were going to the neighboring city, that's another twenty minutes. So it, you know it would be a big trip. And I know there's other parts of of the country and the world where it's even more than that. But as a child growing up, that contrast was already a big one. It's like, Hey mom, let's go, you know, uh, go to this store and grab something. Uh, whereas in Norwalk, that was a, yeah, sure. Let's go. You know, it's going to be a quick trip there and back. Whereas in Puerto Rico, it's like, well, we got to plan it out and make sure we're not wasting time going down. So that was the, the biggest contrast for sure. Um, growing up, but Norwalk, I thought, was a great. It's a great city to grow up in because it's very diverse. So being Hispanic American, uh, so you know a lot of minorities, and as well as a lot of um, you know Caucasian. Um, so it was a great. I got a little bit of everything, so I, I appreciated that a lot, and I thought it was a great town to grow up in because you got mm-hmm. experience, you got exposure to the world. Sure. What are some things you enjoyed doing growing up? What were your your hobbies, your interests? What are 
What was what was little eight year old Juan Cologne doing on a Saturday? <laughs> uh, it was always watching New York Yankees. So that's from the time I was three years old. That's what it was all about. Um, so, yeah, my days were always spent. My, my life revolved around around Yankees baseball. So it was always um, making sure my homework was done in time so I could watch the games. Um, mm-hmm. Weekends, not wanting to go anywhere if the game was going to be on. So that was it. Was always around Yankees baseball. So then, I, obviously, I played baseball. Um, did a lot of that, a lot of the you know spring, summer, fall travel teams, all of that. Um, and then my cousins and I, we would play backyard baseball for hours. You know, sometimes 12, 13, 14 hours at a time um, mm-hmm. until the sun went down. We'd just keep playing. So yeah, baseball was the primary thing for sure. What position did you play? So I was a little bit of everything. My favorite was catcher, believe it or not. Being mm-hmm. from Puerto Rico, I mean, long line of catchers. Um, yeah, sure. So my favorite sure. was catcher, uh, but I played everywhere. Wherever yeah. there was a need is, is where I ended up playing. Uh, I like to say that, and I think this is true, if I really go back and think about it, each on each team I played a different position primarily. Wow. I mean, I would bounce around, but where like my primary position would be was different on each team as I went through all the years. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think it's important for those people who are listening to us today to know that a love of baseball is uh, not necessarily a prerequisite for priesthood, but it's a common one. I think uh, we heard, you know, Father Mike Dunn earlier on, uh, you know, big Yankee fan. We heard Father Joe Gill, who was a very avid baseball player. Now you and I also just for full, in the interest of full disclosure, right? Juan has just shared with us the, the wonderfulness that is is very present in Fairfield County, which is being obsessed with the Yankees. It is one of the the few things uh, on which Juan and I disagree. Uh, I I am a an avid Minnesota Twins fan, um, which usually means that Juan gets to uh, kind of rub that in my face a little because uh, the, the Twins tend not to play that well against the Yankees. We'll say it very politely because this is a church podcast. But but we did just split a series, right? We did, we did just two and two. Which, I, you know, most of the time you go, oh, that's that's just no. But for us, I mean, that's – and even the two games we lost, it's not like they were blowouts, right? I mean, these were these were actually like good games, you know? Yeah, the tide is turning for sure. You know, I'm getting a little nervous about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, and the, the my favorite thing about it, though, is also that we, we play New York again in just like a week and a half in, in Minnesota. And then Minnesota, we don't yeah. see you again for the rest of the year. Because oh. a lot of times we end up playing New York in like August or September and it kills our playoff hopes because we end up losing three or four games in a row. But the fact that we're getting all seven games out of the way now uh, is definitely – I appreciate it very much, very much. And um, no, but baseball is, is something Juan and I, I both share. In fact, uh, there is a, uh, a promise, my, my ordination gift to Juan, God willing, he – he comes to uh, to God. God leads him to that that moment. Uh, will be that we are going to go to a Yankee Twins game uh, that year or the year after, depending on schedule. And uh, we're going to sit in the nice seats. We're going to get those uh, <laughs> those those really nice ones right behind home plate or something. That's going to be go. our our thing. But so, Juan, young Juan Colon. Okay, you're you're growing up in Norwalk. You're spending time in Puerto Rico. You're spending a lot of time on the baseball diamond. Um, all of those good things. And how and where then does Jesus, does a relationship with him, does life in the church, whatever it is, how does that break into the midst 
of all that's going on in your life. Yeah, I mean, you use the phrase like break into the midst, but ultimately he was always there uh, mm. from very young age. So, uh, well, as long as I could remember. And um, let's see. So we have um, just very Catholic family, right? So mm-hmm. um, my family was always my mom. It was always around mass, right? So like I couldn't play baseball if I didn't go to mass, things like that. So mass was first and foremost in our household. Um, very devout grandparents on both sides. So um, it was just always there. And to the point where as um, as a three-year-old, as long as I can remember, yeah, I'd probably be about three years old. I was playing priest. I was pretending to be a priest at home. Um I just, I loved it. And whenever I went to mass, like my parents would want to sit in the back in case I would get rowdy or loud. And I'd just dart to the first pew where my grandparents were sitting and go sit next to them because I wanted to see everything the priest was doing. Um, So, you know, the the priesthood there, I mean, you asked specifically Jesus, um, Mm -hmm. kind of an understanding of, of Jesus's role in his priesthood and in the church. Um, I guess that started to come later gradually just through conversation i can't really pinpoint a time where he kind of Mm -hmm. like broke through but um obviously seeing the images he was there but in terms of an understanding of who jesus is um obviously to start coming to later um but i can't really pinpoint when exactly but i think it's a good thing so it was kind of like a gradual one yeah and in in reality right i think you think of like the story of um uh, which of the, I think it was Elijah, right? The, the, you know, the God's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's in that like still small voice. And, and we often use that as an analogy for the, for the role of silence in the spiritual life, which is yeah. accurate and true and good. But it also brings, uh, you know, into account the fact that, that God's presence is very subtle often in our lives because it's an invitation, right? It's an invitation, not a demand. Uh, he, he wants to draw us close, but he also wants us to want that. Right. He wants us to draw us, you know, in. And I think there's a really good I'm just going to digress for one second. There's a great lesson in there from for especially those, you know, those who are are listening or watching that maybe have young kids, um, which was you said you always wanted to dart to the front so that you could see what was happening. And I just want to encourage all those, you know, anyone who has young children, especially sit up front. Right. Don't be embarrassed about, oh, they might get a little. Well, that's what kids do, first of all. Right. And, and second of all, they're more likely to engage if they can see it. <laughs> you know, if they can see what's going on and and it is beautiful and, and, and it is kind of interesting. And if you're going to go to this thing, so to speak, you know, every Sunday uh, to, to develop a deeper understanding. Right. We, we have senses and we want to be able to see. We want to be able to hear. Um, you know, and, and you never know, maybe, maybe the church you're in doesn't have the best sound system in the world. I know, I know they're all, they're all perfect, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so as you're growing up, right, you, uh, one of the challenges I think in our, in our world, and I know I experienced this myself and I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on it, Juan, is especially as we start to get a little bit older, right? We start to get to, you know, middle school, high school, especially, you know, no matter how deep our roots go when it comes to faith and, and our life in the church with our families, as we get older, sometimes it's harder, 
right? It's it does it's for whatever reason, right? We're we're starting to try to become more independent. We're starting to um, maybe our friends don't see going to church or or things like that as cool or or those kinds of things. And so, what was that like for you? Did you struggle at all to continue living your faith as you got into high school? Did it deepen? Was it you know what was that experience like for you as you started to to kind of mature a little bit? Yeah, so that was where the conflicting part happened because uh, I expressed my my love for baseball, and so that was a cool thing to do, right? So going through middle school, high school, there definitely was not much support for mm. um, for church in general. Let's leave vocation out of it at this point. I mean, just church in general. Um, mm. I was not someone that liked to fight my parents. So because my mom said, you know, mass is a must, it, it was. And I I enjoyed it, so I never really had a problem going. I didn't have a reason to, like, push back. But, um, yeah, there was definitely some embarrassment, for sure. Because, um, yeah, just hearing people around me kind of poo-poo it and say, oh, well, you know, that's, you know, that's just like some stuff that only church people do like you know it's not cool to be a church person uh so that's definitely the conflict and then so really middle school high school meant saying no to church and yes to these people who i thought were cool and who mm-hmm. wanted me to be cool like them and so it was kind of like a clandestine thing it's like oh, well i'm going to church but i can't let these people really find out mm-hmm. that i'm like so into church um yeah. So that was definitely kind of a, a a conflict going on internally. Yeah, and now okay, so you're you're a seminarian, right? You're you're moving towards towards priesthood um, and all that. So where where did the idea? And I you, you talked about right playing priest when you were younger and, and having the interest and in all that, but especially knowing okay this clandestine kind of reality of living your faith. And now it's a very public reality, right? It's it's okay. extraordinarily public. So there had to be some sort of, whether it was one moment or just, again, it could have been the gradual thing where you said like, no, this is really where I belong. And this is, um, this is where I'm meant to be. And so now you can live that very publicly in terms of pursuing your vocation. So how did that change uh, begin to happen? Yeah, so in high school it, for me it really started when trying to figure out what to do with my life um mm. i think the first time i consciously said that i was going to be a priest i was in sixth grade um and so i said yeah i'm going to be a priest and i remember telling people in in school and kind of getting made fun of for it uh, mm. which i really didn't care much about i thought i thought that was funny um because i was serious about it so but then kind of going back to what I said previously about the whole internal conflict and well, you know, people that I know don't, who I think are cool, don't find this cool. So therefore I can't find it cool. So I got to do this. Uh, but then once high school hit, it was, it was, um, senior year, kind of like, you know, junior, senior year trying to think about like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, you know, definitely wanting to go to college, but not knowing what on earth I was going to study kind of bouncing around like from major to major and like, oh, I don't know what I would do and, and this and that. So that conflict lasted, yeah, you know, three years or so where 
in the back of my mind, I knew like I want to study about God, um, and I just want to learn more about Him, and that I just couldn't bring myself to accept that. So um, I was just finding things here or there to kind of get in the way, or just buy buy myself some time. So ultimately, when I was a senior, I didn't apply to any schools, and because my logic was, well, I'm not going to go make a huge investment in both time and money to study something I, I'm not passionate about. I just don't mm-hmm. think that makes any sense. So I, I, my parents were like, you have to go to school. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just buy myself some time by going to community college. So I just signed up at the local community college and just started taking classes and um, just trying to buy myself some time because I was afraid to make that leap to, to enter the seminary. So um it was a gra- it was a gradual thing in that sense where i had to reach that point where i was at peace knowing that okay i might be ridiculed i might be made fun of or i might make pe- make people gasp or or like do a double take but it's really what i want to do and um so that's kind of what led to that decision like i i arrived there just saying if I'm going to dedicate my life to something, I want to dedicate it to something I'm passionate about and I feel at peace with. And ultimately that was the priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it hits on something. I really, you know, we, a lot of us have heard this quote before from, from St. Augustine, right? Our hearts are made for you, O Lord, and, and we're restless until we rest in you. And, and so often we apply that only to just the core of the spiritual life again, but it really has a profound meaning in, in the terms of, in terms of vocation, right? Because that's such a common theme. I mean, it was a theme in my own life, right? About bouncing around from major to major, from career path to career path, because ultimately it's like deep down, you know, right? God's calling you to something and he's inviting you to something and you're just trying to say no, but you can't quite get yourself to say yes to anything because you know what you're supposed to be saying yes to. And, and so it's, it's easy to, to just bounce it around and say, well, you know, I'll, I'll look at this, I'll look at this, I'll look at this. And that restlessness sometimes doesn't even come from being unhappy in a particular thing. Sometimes the restlessness comes from, I can't even find the particular thing to be unhappy in right? <laughs> because God's, God's creating me for something different and, and he's calling my heart and, and trying to shape it um, you know, to that. So we're glad you found your way, uh, you know, to, to seminary formation and to, uh, to pursuing this, right. And, and opening yourself up because that's what it's about, right. It's a, it's not even so much about pursuing priesthood, right. I love the way you said it, right. I wanted to know more about God. If I was going to study something, it was going to be something I wanted, you know, I wanted to know more about God. That's sometimes just the beginning of the relationship and the beginning of vocation. And, you know, this idea, we've talked about this before, right, that, you know, it's really easy, even in seminary work, um, to even make the priesthood an idol, right, yeah. which, like, I, I kind of sell everything out for the sake of becoming a priest. And it's like, no, we're, we're here to know God. And we're here to, to live in a relationship with him and to deepen that relationship. And he will reveal to us where he wants us to be. And if that's priesthood, then thanks be to God. That's great. But ultimately, I'm not here to be a priest. I'm here to, to do God's will. I'm here to to do what he's asking of me, which I ultimately believe is priesthood, right? But it's not priesthood I'm pursuing. It's God's will. And it's it's slight, but it's it's there. And that's where that peace comes from, right? That's where, uh, you know, that, that kind of sense of inner 
inner tranquility, inner consolation comes from, even in the difficult moments of knowing, okay, at the end of the day, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And right. that's always going to be a good thing. So talk to us a little bit about, um, you're in seminary now. You're at, you know, we talked, we said that earlier you're at St. Charles. What is the life of a seminarian, right? We know that it's about studying for priesthood. We know that it's about preparing. We know that it's about deepening in prayer and relationship and all those lovely little platitudes that we love to throw out. But day to day, right? What does your life look like as a seminarian? Sure. So day to day, let's see, we have, uh, so we wake up um, pretty early because we, our first obligation would be at 7 a.m. Um, and that varies at different seminaries. Sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's later. Uh, here in particular, St. Charles, 7 a.m., we start with morning prayer, um, which is the liturgy of the hours of the church, right? So the priests and deacons are bound to say it. Uh, so we're preparing for that, of course. So we, we start praying certain hours of it. So we start at 7 a.m. with morning prayer, and then we go right into mass after morning prayer. So we have mass in the morning. Then we get a little break after mass, you know, for those who want to have breakfast. Uh, they have some time to have breakfast. And then we get into like our class periods. Um, so just like, just like, uh, any school or university, mm -hmm. just have designated class periods. You have your designated schedules. Um, that doesn't look much different than class mm -hmm. anywhere else. Um, being a public school kid, the first time I, my first ever class I took in a Catholic institution was seminary. So I was thrown off the very first day when we started class with a prayer. <laughs> it was a big shock for yeah. me. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's maybe one of the minor differences. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, you take your classes and then afternoon varies because you have there's electives offered in the afternoons, um, different activities, groups. For example, I'm in the choir. So we have a rehearsals in the afternoon, you know, once or twice a week. So um, afternoons when you tend to kind of have some of that free time to get homework done to do your um, activities that you might mm -hmm. do uh, recreation. And then five o'clock we would have evening prayer and uh, followed by dinner. Um, this year as first theologians here at St. Charles, we do have a Monday night class on Monday nights. We have, we have a three hour night class, six thirty to nine thirty at night. Um, wow. So on Mondays, our days like just getting started when, when uh, we get to dinner. <laughs> So uh, yep. we'll have a night class, and um, but the other days of the week, yeah. I mean, after dinner, it's pretty much that's when it gets pretty chill, where you have time yeah. to get your homework done. You can go out, um, do different things, and that's pretty much the day. And yeah, that's pretty much where it ends. So, what are some of the classes that you're taking right now? So this semester, um, Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, right? Um, Gospel of Good Mark. Place to start. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Gospel of Mark. What else do we have? We have sacramental theology. Um, introduction to liturgical studies. Um, and let's see, what else? We, we took church history, right? The first thousand years. Um, last semester, we did an intro to scripture course. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of theology stuff. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, yes, you learn a little bit of everything. Good. What, what, um, 
what are you doing in terms of pastoral ministry or uh, preparing for pastoral ministry right now? Well, yeah, that's a that's a loaded question there because um, so here at St. Charles, <laughs> here at St. Charles, we have uh, so Thursdays are Apostle Day, and mm-hmm. so all different sorts of apostolates, right? There's um, most guys like myself, we go to do parish ministry, so we go to a parish and uh, help out at the parish. But you have um, high school ministry, um, mm-hmm. where some guys go to high school, some guys go to hospitals. So my particular ones, I go to a parish um, visitation, BVM, in the Kensington section of Philadelphia, which is um, a very, let's see, how can I say this charitably? It's a very desolate portion of the city. Like, it's just, yeah. it's a very needy portion. Um, there's just, a, there's a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering, a lot of drug addiction, Um you see a lot of prostitution, um, things like that. So it's a very difficult area to be in. The parish is run by the Redemptorists, and I've gained so much respect for them being there mm-hmm. because I go there on Thursdays, and it's just it's a very violent and dangerous part of the city. And just seeing what I see just one day a week, I, I mean, I can't imagine what these priests see on a daily basis. Um, so that's my pastoral ministry this year. I go there with... Um, with one partner, he's in Archdiocese, he's a Philadelphia seminarian, uh, in second theology a year ahead of me. And yeah, so we'll go, we will serve, we'll get there early, we'll pray with the priest. One of the things of going to an apostle with religious priests is that they pray in community. So sure. we get to join them for their prayer in, in the yeah. mornings. Um, then we'll have mass and then, uh, we'll assist with the school drop off. The parish has a school. So we'll assist mm-hmm. with the school drop-off, and then we'll go to um, there's a soup kitchen nearby. So we we'll go to the soup kitchen, uh, help them out, uh, handing out food, uh, inviting people in. You know, some people are just so are struggling so much that they can't even make their way to the soup kitchen. So you know, I'll go out and I'll bring them the food on the streets and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Try and get them blankets and stuff to stay warm. And, you know, try to be helpful as much as we can. Then in the afternoons uh, we come back and then we will we'll teach in the school. So we're teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth grade religion. Uh, so I take yeah. the sixth graders. My partner takes seventh grade. And the pastor does eighth grade. And um, so we we teach we teach from the teen catechism, the UCAT. Um, yeah. So we're kind of going through that and um, dividing up different parts and and um, teaching from that. Uh, then after that, yeah, we make our way back to the seminary and and uh, get back to our work. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like an incredible experience, especially to get all of that, um, you know, in terms of just parish life day to day and being able to serve the poor. Right. Very hands on, very um, in a place where it's very needed. You know, that's and then to also be able to teach, work with students. I mean, there's a lot going on there, which is good because, you know, the experience of of growing in relationship with God, I think, uh, is one that that really invites us to charity in a, in a really profound way, um, but also moves us there, right? To, to, con- to be deepening our relationship with God, who is love, right? To God, who, who came to free us and to enrich us in our poverty. Uh, when you can't help but learn, right, from allowing God to be there for you, what it then means to be there for others, right? And so to have your heart moved, uh, to give yourself in that way, I, I really think that's the core of seminary, right? It's, at the end of the day, 
everything is about getting to know God and allowing him to reveal who you are so that you can make that great gift of yourself in priesthood, right? But it all begins with just that receiving of who he is, that getting to know who he is, getting to know about him through scripture, through theology, through tradition, all of those things, ultimately through prayer, so that your heart can then be moved. And and by receiving that gift of God to be moved out um, into that that moment of self-gift and that moment of pastoral charity. So I think that's beautiful. And I, I'm so grateful that you're getting such a profound opportunity to do that, right? Because those, yeah. I'm sure those yeah. faces are faces you're going to remember for your whole life forever yeah yeah there's just like some there's a lot of things that you see that yeah they just stay implanted in your brain and um if you may i want to add to what you said because you talk about that gift of self and you know you asked me like what's the day-to-day uh the seminarian look like i think really when you first start seminary you quickly realize that gift of self because now all of a sudden you lose control of your life um, whereas like before you can control, okay, well, you know, I, I got to work, so I can't really control like what hours I could do that. But, you know, before and after I have all this time that I can control and then you get into seminary real quick, you realize, oh, I have very little control of my life. And that's when you, that's the first time you learn about that gift of self that, okay, my life is no longer going to be mine. It's going to belong to Christ and his church. Um, for as long as I'm here, whether that means until I discern out or until the ordination, you know, I leave here as a priest. So that's, you mentioned that gift of self and that's what came to mind was just how immediately you learn. Yes, I am giving a gift of self. Yeah. And the practical is designed to draw out that in a heartfelt way. Right. You know, it's this, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm really, and I, and I think that's, that's also something that's important, right? We, we are giving of ourselves to Christ and his people, but that ultimately means we're giving ourselves to the church, right? To be at her disposal for her people, right? And, and, and to, you know, so that begin, right? We, we make a promise even of obedience, right? To our bishop. Um, at ordination. And in many ways, the, the, the forming of our hearts for that obedience, the forming of our hearts for that service of the church begins in seminary, right? That's our, because the seminary is the church, right? The seminary is an institution of the church, right? So it's something where, you know, we learn very quickly <laughs> that the church is in charge <laughs> and, and that, you know, very because she, needs, she, you know, her people needed of us. And so, um, you know, to be able to give of ourselves, you know, that way, because, you know, how many days, you know, just, you know, speaking from, from my own experience, I mean, limited as it is, how many days where you think you're going to have time to go to the grocery store, you think you're going to have time to go see a movie, you think you're going to have time to play golf or watch a Yankee game. And it just always seems like those calls come at the most inconvenient times, yeah. right? But that's because life often happens at very inconvenient times, right? right? And so the thing about being a priest is that, um, and what seminary I think teaches you in that practical way um, is to abandon your own ideas of convenience, right? Is to abandon your own ideas of of what what's best for me, right? And to to move into what's best for the church and what's best for her people, what's best for Christ. Um, you know, I, uh, I am not a morning person. 
I'm yeah. not, it's just, it, and I never will be, I think, but you know, so for me, that was always the hard part about seminary was I had to get up early, <laughs> you know, you said, right. you know, seven o'clock when we started, right. when I was at Dunwoody, I think Fisher, we might've even been a little earlier at times because we had to travel to sacred heart. We, there were days I feel like we were starting at six 30. Um, yeah, Fisher so, definitely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you, you even learn how to give up sleep. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I think it was, you know, Jesus who said, right. The son of man has nowhere to rest his head. So <laughs> It's a very, very true. Great. So Juan, you know, thank you so much for taking time out of that busy day. I know uh, to to spend some time with us talking about seminary for, formation and, and your own experiences. And we look forward to We'll have you back a couple of times. I think, you know, I look forward to, to kind of uh, allowing people to see your journey as it as it unfolds and, and God willing, um, you know, moves towards ordination. So I'm going to end with a couple of just quick fire questions that I've started asking just to you know, get to know okay. a little bit or just whatever the first thing is uh, that comes to mind. So who is your favorite saint other than Mary? Cause that, that you know, that's a given. <laughs> favorite saint. Um, I'm going to cheat and give two. Uh, one, because he's my patron, that's St. John the evangelist. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the one that resonated most with my vocation was St. Augustine. He talked about mm-hmm. that you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Um, so yeah, St. Augustine would definitely be my favorite in terms of devotion probably, but particular devotion to St. John the Evangelist for being my my patron. All right. And what is your favorite either scripture quote, passage, or story from scripture? Favorite passage is definitely um, when Peter says, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? Hmm. Um, that passage has gotten me through a lot of tough times when, you know, you kind of get angry with God and say like, Lord, why? And, um, you could feel him asking you, it's like, well, where are you going to go? And my response always is, well, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, you're, you're there regardless of what happens. So, uh, that's definitely my favorite scripture passage. Amen. Amen. And then my final, my final question is, if you could give one spiritual practice, one devotion to someone who is trying to discern God's will in their life, what would you recommend to them? Oh, man, that's a big one. Let's see. I had a spiritual director once tell me, um, go with whatever gives you peace. Go whatever. Mm-hmm. Go with whatever brings you peace. Mm-hmm. And so that'd be my my big piece of advice primarily you know we have this tendency when we go to prayer to immediately start talking and start saying well lord i need this uh or lord i want that or we'll be like well lord what do you want from me but then we don't give him time to respond and i think a big thing to do is just to sit there quietly whether it is in front of the blessed sacrament or just in a quiet place in general uh just close your eyes commune with our lord and just follow what brings you peace. So if something brings you peace, that's probably coming from God. So that would be probably my best piece of advice I can give. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you again for, for joining us. I want to take one of your answers, and I want to give some of our listeners a great recommendation, um, which is you had said, you know, your favorite quote, you know, to, to whom shall we go? There is an amazing book uh, by now Cardinal Timothy Dolan. At the time, I think he was still the Archbishop um, in Milwaukee, but it's called To Whom Shall We Go? And it yeah. is Lessons from the Apostle Peter. And it is 
it is brilliant. I mean, first of all, it's written in a way that only Cardinal Dolan can write it. Um, it's which is very human <laughs> and very real. Uh, but Peter is is just presented in the Gospels as so human. Right. And and I think there's a lot of beauty in that. And and sometimes we think we need to be perfect um, or you know, that everything in our lives needs to be perfect before God will call us. And, and Peter is a great example of, of how untrue that is. We're great examples of how untrue that is. Uh, so if you're looking for some spiritual reading, especially as we move into this Easter season, To Whom Shall We Go? Lessons from the Apostle Peter uh, by Archbishop Timothy Dolan, uh, now Cardinal great Dolan. Book. I highly recommend. So again, thank you, Juan. Please know we are praying for you. We are very grateful for you and all of our seminarians uh, who are just really good men. And they're they're really doing a great job. We're very proud of them. The bishop speaks so highly of them all the time. Um, but we're very grateful to you for not only for your time, but for your willingness to explore this willingness to explore where God is, is leading you. So, um, thank you again to Juan. Thank you to all of you who are listening or watching, uh, to the, the podcast. Um, if you're looking for more information yourself, if you're looking for information on how you can discern a vocation to the priesthood, how you can encourage others to discern, please feel free to, to stop by our website, bridgeportpriest.org. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook at Bridgeport Priest. Or if you have questions or if you're, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start uh, uh, kind of talking a little bit more and, and discerning a little more seriously. Don't hesitate to shoot us an email at discern at bridgeportpriest.org. So again, thank you to Juan Colon. Thank you to you all. And I wish you a blessed start to this Easter season.